0: Main Street represents our small businesses, and Wall Street represents our biggest and wealthiest companies, what street's left for our middle market? On today's show, my guest Doug Farron from the National Center of the Middle Market helps me answer this question. From Seattle, Washington, I'm your host, Trevor Paris, and this is the Netor Network. On today's show, we dive into the middle market by answering some critical questions such as, what is the middle market? How's the middle market performing? What's in store for the middle market? And what threats and challenges does the market face? My guest, Doug Farron, from the National Center for the Middle Market, will help answer some of those questions. Farron is the managing director of the National Center for the Middle Market at the Ohio State University Fisher College of Business. In his role, he leads the day-to-day operations of the center, which include research, corporate outreach, and student activities. In addition, He's also responsible for long-range strategic planning. Prior to launching the National Center for the Middle Market in 2011, he spent 10 years with Limited Brands, where he worked in various roles including supply chain planning, distribution center operations, and financial planning and analysis. When I asked Doug about how the National Center for the Middle Market got started, he indicated that it was actually GE Capital who was looking to better understand the middle market, and as a result. G Capital reached out to a variety of business schools across the country via an RFP process to help conduct a study on the middle market. However, when asked to participate in the study, Doug indicated that the Fisher College of Business School had bigger aspirations than what GE had initially planned. Farron elaborates. You know, GE actually
1: reached out to... uh, the top 50 business schools in the U.S. via an RFP process, really looking for an academic partner that could help them create some uh, rigorous, credible, uh, you know, business school-focused uh, research on these on these firms. And so, you know, that came across the desk of our uh, former dean, Chris Poon, and uh, she saw this as an opportunity to, yeah, certainly participate in that research. But also, uh, you know, perhaps um, as a goal of the college, really become kind of the, the country's expert uh, uh, in terms of understanding and studying these firms because, you know, at, in, in 2011, nobody was really doing this. Uh, so our proposal back to GE Capital was, yes, we'll do this research study, but we'd also recommend forming a center that would become an ongoing source of, of data collection, research, thought leadership, insights. uh, And that's really how, you know, kind of those activities that I described were were created, and the vision
0: for the center was really laid out. With the center funded by GE Capital and its vision defined, the National Center for Mid-Market could begin to conquer its first challenge, defining what the mid-market is.
1: Yeah, so very early on, you know, even before we entered into our um, GE agreement to launch the center, we, we asked, asked ourselves that question, right? Like, what are going to be the parameters and the uh, demographics that we are going to put around this definition? Because before we could do anything, we needed to know that, right? I mean, going into any of the available data and, and having to take all the different sources of data that were out there and really patch them together to create a story of who the middle market is and Um, you know, again, uncovering some of these challenges and opportunities. That was the starting point, was actually saying, what is the definition? So, you know, there were a lot of things that were kicked around, a lot of those um, guardrails that I talked about earlier. Should it start at 50? Should it start at 100? Should it go lower? Uh, And actually where we landed is really a, a bit simplistic. We just said, let's just look at the middle third of the U.S. economy, And once we got to that point, it essentially landed us at this very clean uh, revenue-based definition of 10 million to a billion. Now it's a huge spread. It's one of the questions we get all the time: is Wow, that's enormous! You know, how are you able to conduct activities and really be a voice for a group of companies that are across that broad of a range? Right? Because you think about a 10 or a 20 million dollar company is going to look, operate
0: have much different issues uh, than a $900 million company. And And to address that gap, Doug and his team determined subcategorizations of the mid-market were needed.
1: Our lower middle market are firms that are uh, in the 10 million to 50 million revenue category. And these are uh, companies that are gonna look and feel much more like a startup. Um, They'll tend to be more family-owned businesses in that category. Uh, You may have a founder uh, entrepreneur, owner, operator, who's still kind of running the show and may not have, you know, a, a built-out leadership team. So it's a person that's wearing a lot of hats from a from a leadership standpoint and probably you know, aren't that sophisticated in terms of their processes and systems. And certainly are tend you know tend to operate more on a regional basis. Moving into the next segment, 50 million to 100 million, we call that the core middle market. Uh, these firms now are starting to uh invest a little more into technology. They're developing some of those processes that I mentioned. They may bring on, for example, their first full-time CFO. You know, it's a great example of um, the type of maturity that we see happen through that uh, level of growth. And they certainly start to look at you know other mar- markets uh, as opportunities. So if they're local or you know within a small region, they may start to look within the U.S. for for customers, for suppliers, those types of things. And then finally, in the large upper end of the middle market, 100 million and above, um, this is where we start to, you know, obviously we'll see, you know, large company behavior. So things like, you know, board of directors overseeing the leadership team. Um, Certainly, you know, multi-site, multi-facility type operations. Uh, and then even expanding into global operations and uh, international business opportunities. So it's a pretty, pretty unique set of characteristics. And over the years, you know, we've been able to to define that and then you know take deeper dives through our various research projects. And, you know, uh, again, thinking about those three segments and the unique needs and challenges that each of them have, even within the middle market. So uh, it's been pretty interesting.
0: While those subcategorizations of the mid market seem fairly straightforward, an additional layer of complexity is added when you begin to look at the aspirations of an organization and what the future holds for potential mid market companies. Farron breaks this down to three key phenomena.
1: You see a couple of different phenomena happening because you're asking about, like, you know, what's the, uh, you know, how does, this, how does this group of companies change over time? There are some phenomena, some, um, some firms, are fast growers, you know, call them what you want, unicorns, gazelles. They start, they grow very quickly, and they grow right through the middle market, right? So I mean at some point, every company that's in the Fortune five hundred was a middle market company. That may be years and years ago. But but my point is that, you know, every every company has these three stages where they start up, they grow into mid market and then you know they become large eventually. Or Another phenomenon is we see a lot of these firms are pretty ripe targets for acquisition, right? So you may have consolidation among competing firms where they see an opportunity, um, you know, for, for two either complementary or competing businesses to come together to pursue, you know, even larger growth, or you know, big companies come in and say, hey, we'd like to add these guys. They've got a unique uh, product or service or something we think will make our business better. So. There are actually organizations out there, specifically around, I'll use private equity as an example, um, that focus mainly on merger and acquisition activity within the middle market. So a group that we work with is called ACG, the Association for Corporate Growth. And they're a chapter-based organization throughout the U.S. made up primarily of these private equity firms, as well as, you know, other type of providers in the ecosystem, like, law firms, accounting firms, and so forth that help with the transactions. And there's actually you know, pretty significant activity going on within you know this, this same um, set of companies, this 10 million to a billion. So uh, um, the, the third phenomenon I'll just quickly mention because I do think it, it bears mentioning. Um, there are companies that really are, have no interest in becoming large. I mean, quite frankly, whether it's a second, third, fourth generation family-owned company, or uh, just a privately held firm that is very, very comfortable with 5 to 7% annual top-line growth, you know, it could take them years and years and years to achieve, uh, you know, hit that billion-dollar in-sales mark, and then they're okay with that. So, you know, I think there are a lot of different approaches. We don't see, you know, we don't see many of those firms rocketing through the middle market in five to seven years. I mean, certainly, those are unique cases. I think more and more what we see of our You know, firms that reach a certain point and then they may consolidate or be purchased or or we see these ones that just kind of continue to chug along.
0: When asked about potential threats to the mid-market, Farron indicated that it wasn't necessarily a domestic threat, rather global competition and lack of a sense of urgency at home. Farron elaborates more. A bigger threat would be,
1: um, through a couple of studies we've done on globalization, is not viewing um, international competitors as a threat. You know, a lot of middle market companies, the reason they're successful is because they've had they've got a very nice niche business. Again, they operate regionally or just primarily within the U.S., so they may be very well known in their area, whether it's manufacturing or wholesale or whatever industry. And uh, some of our work would suggest that, you know, these companies aren't really looking to expand globally but they're also not looking at global competitors who may be looking at the U.S. to come in and you know s- steal market share. So our uh, our message has been, hey, look, it's better to you know maybe your your best defense is a strong offense, and if you're thinking about further opportunities for growth, um, you, know, you may want to look at some global markets. Now that doesn't come without its own set of challenges and barriers and so forth. Um, but we feel like there's a lot of resources out there that could actually help middle-market firms of all sizes take advantage of that opportunity.
0: While globalization appears to be a real threat to the middle market, Farron's numbers suggest otherwise. The middle market currently accounts for 200,000 companies, 50 million U.S. jobs, and has shown 6 to 7% revenue growth every year since April of 2012. So when asked about what other challenges the market faces, Farron indicated the challenges aren't fiscal, Rather, they have to do with the market's identity. Farron elaborates further.
1: But you also think about you know, our elected officials in this country, whether it's in D.C., in state governments, or in local mayor's offices. Um, I think, again, so much of the time and energy is focused on keeping the local Fortune 500 company happy and then putting a lot of effort and muscle around programs that help, help the small business owners. But... These companies in the middle market tend to be forgotten or just unknown. And I think that's a threat in of itself. And and part of the reason that is, is because these companies themselves don't necessarily identify as middle market. You know, a lot of times when we'll meet new middle market companies at events and uh, venues across the country, that's not the first word that comes out of their mouth, right? You'll talk to a CEO or we'll meet uh, a leader at at one of these firms. And the the first thing they say is, hey, we're a mid-sized company. What they typically identify uh, more with is their industry where they're located and their ownership model right so I'm a manufacturer based in Chicago Illinois you know third third generation family-owned manufacturing business in Chicago Illinois that's much much more um, common than for somebody to say oh I'm a mid-sized manufacturer because uh, with the companies themselves that view is really skewed by who they work with as, you know, their partners, their suppliers, and their customers.
0: So how does one combat that perception? How does one rebrand the middle market? Well, Farron indicated that the National Center for Mid-Market has hired a PR agency to increase the mid-market's exposure. They've also developed a company spotlight on their website in which they do a deep dive into a mid-market organization each month. They work with various organizations such as GE Capital and Cisco to broaden their partner network. But one of the most significant milestones may have been the formation of the bipartisan Congressional Caucus for Middle Market Growth. Farron elaborates on how this caucus was formed and the impact that it had on the middle market.
1: So um, a couple years ago, we helped co-form a um, caucus in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, So it's called the Congressional Caucus on Middle Market Growth. Um, It was launched uh, with four co-chairs. So the current co-chairs are Steve Stivers um, here from Ohio, uh, uh, Kirsten Sinema uh, from Arizona, Jared Polis uh, from Colorado, and Tom MacArthur, who I believe is from Illinois. Uh, um, It's bipartisan. So there's nine Dem- uh, nine Republicans, seven Democrats we're looking to grow that. But the whole uh, purpose of that, that caucus is to give us a platform into um, you know the government into the, into the House of Representatives to basically start educating uh, the members and their staff uh, about these companies. So for example, we have data, we have a database that's built that basically has every congressional district in, in the. US. And we have a pretty rough approximation of the number of middle market companies, the number of employees, and the annual revenues generated by each district's middle market. And we can take that, and we can go to the Hill and share that with members and their offices and their legislative directors. And in our experience, it's been pretty eye-opening because they don't quite realize how important, you know, and how many um, of their of their voters and their constituents um, are actually contributing... Uh, to the middle market or work in the middle market. So those have been great conversations. And again, we are not a lobbying organization. That is something we are not allowed to do. It's not in our charter, and we are not organized that way. But what we do is educate these folks.
0: When asked about the future of the caucus, Farron seemed excited. He and his colleagues would be traveling to D.C. in the coming weeks to address the Senate on the status of the mid-market. Farron elaborates further.
1: And in fact, back to D.C., you know, it's a pretty interesting time, obviously, in D.C., but Tom and I, Tom Stewart and I will be there in the middle of September to actually do a Senate briefing, which is being organized by the two Ohio Senators, um, Sherrod Brown and Rob Portman, and um, you know, we hope to have other uh, members of the Senate and their staffs in there as well, but we're going to do an overview of the middle market and we're going to talk about our latest paper, which is Workforce Challenges uh, that we just released last week with the Brookings Institute, and so we hope it's going to be you know, a pretty engaging session, and uh, a lot of takeaways, and then we start to connect with those folks, and hopefully they follow our work on an ongoing basis, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, what we want to see is that middle market becomes part of the conversation uh, as legislation is discussed, as regulations are discussed, uh, and that's important because we have seen that middle market companies kind of unfairly uh, bear a lot of the burden of regulations because small companies can typically get exempt from those. And large companies have the resources to basically address them, uh, and middle market companies do not. So um, it's been a pretty big challenge for these firms.
0: According to Farron, the future seems bright for the middle market. However, the constant fear of market consolidation and globalization will always be present. We started our show by asking if Main Street is a metaphor for our small businesses and Wall Street represents our largest and wealthiest companies, what street does that make the mid-market? maybe it's not a street at all. Maybe it's something else. Farron puts it best.
1: We actually use, uh, it's somewhat you know, somewhat humorous, but our comparison is actually the middle child. You know, I, myself as a middle child can certainly relate to this, but you know, the, the fact that, you know, the, the oldest child is you know kind of the star and the first and uh, always will have a special place in the parent's heart. And then the young one, the baby tends to get away with a lot of things and you know, is the darling and all those things. I mean, uh, and then the middle child is the forgotten one, right? So that's the analogy that that sometimes we use.
0: That's our show, folks. I want to give a special thank you to our guest, Doug Farron. You can check out the National Center for the Middle Markets podcast titled The Market That Moves America at www.middlemarketcenter.org. Also, you can check out more of the NETOR Network podcasts at www.netorpartners.com. From Seattle, Washington, I'm your host, Trevor Paris, and this is the NETOR Network.